Very nice. We are so glad you are here this morning. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it's an honor to get to join with you, to do this journey at North Star with you. It's going to be a big Sunday here. We've had a great morning already. We had a packed house at 930. We had overflow. We had a full house in True North. This hour is full again. We've got those of you watching in the theater, a ton of you watching online. Tell us where you're watching from today. I know we've got friends in Montana, Florida, out in California. i got some buddies out in California, baseball, coach, baseball coaches out there that watch every week. But we're really, really glad you are here. We'll end this today, and then I'm going to go right up the hill. Get this. We have 80 people joining North Star today. Would y'all give the Lord a hand for that? Isn't that awesome? It's the second largest uh, membership class we've ever had outside the very first one where there was nobody that was a member, all right? And so it's pretty awesome. So we get to do the journey this afternoon. It's gonna be a lot of fun, but I'm really, really glad you're here. We're in week two of a series on prayer. Last week, we talked about how do I pray when I don't know if anybody's listening, and we talked about what it meant for God to be our good, good Father, and how He hears us, and how He listens to us. Today is, how do I pray when I don't even know why I'm here, why I'm occupying the space. So I want you to do me a favor. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're camping out for this series. We're going to go to some other passages later, but Matthew 6 is the core of where we're going to spend our next few weeks. It is known as the Lord's Prayer. You hear a lot of football teams pray it. You hear a lot of baseball teams pray it. It was never meant to be a repetitious prayer. It was never meant to be something that we just pray by rote. It was meant to be a template that we lay over prayer that we can use in our own lives, okay? So let me just say this at the very beginning. None of us have figured out, figured out all there is to know about prayer. Is anybody here perfect in their prayer life? I'd love to invite you up, all right? And so, but how many of y'all go, ah, prayer's still something I struggle with? Raise your hand, okay? So we're all, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. Jesus knew that. It's really interesting, as Jesus begins his earthly ministry, and this is at the front end, he's around 30, when this whole dialogue happens with his disciples, Jesus lays out for them how to pray. Why? Because he knew that as simple as the concept can be, that it's us talking to God, it's not easy. We got a lot of life, we got a lot of stuff, we got a lot of things that stand in the way of this conversation. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So would y'all stand with me in honor of reading God's word together? We know this as the Lord's Prayer. A lot of people refer to it as, really, it's the disciples' prayer. He's teaching it to them on how they should pray, meaning, and it, and it gets passed over on down to us. And these words that Jesus lays out, there's, there's power and there's meaning behind them in how we pray. So Jesus begins this, and he says, pray like this. And then he says, our, what's the next word? Okay, let's pause there real quick. If your concept of God is he is a, a old bearded guy that's in heaven that 
can't hear you really well, or he's a God who sits in heaven like this and he looks at you waiting on you to impress him or to please him or to make him happy. It's not the image Jesus gave. In fact, the image that Jesus gave is our Father, meaning, and this, this blew their circuits, our Abba Father, our Daddy. It literally is the picture of a little boy holding up his arms to his earthly father and yelling up Daddy for him to be picked up. That's the Father Jesus is praying to. Not a God who's going, say one thing wrong and I'm gonna pop you upside the noggin, all right? So it's not the image. It is a heavenly father who is our loving father, our father. Jesus gave us a picture of him in the prodigal son. The son takes all his dad's money, he spends it, he wastes it, takes his inheritance, wild living, ran out of food, decided to go home, and while he was still a long ways off, here's what the Bible says about this father. He saw him, he picked up his cloak, and he ran to meet him. And then when he met him, he wrapped his arms around him, and he covered his faces in kisses. That's the father you're praying to. Does everybody get this picture? It's not, it's not heavenly father with a ruler in his hand or heavenly father who's so distant he doesn't even know your name. Jesus said, when you approach him, say, our father, my Abba father. Look at what he says. May in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your name be set apart. And then there's the crux of what we're gonna talk about today. May your, what's the next word? May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're gonna talk about today. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. In the middle of your story, and in the middle of your journey, God, for whatever reason, got you here today. I think because you and I need to figure out what this whole deal is all about. If we do, our lives can count for more than it could have ever counted for before. So would y'all pray with me? Would you pray these words, just repeat these words after me? Dear Heavenly Father, may I hear from you today. Give me ears to hear, heart to receive, and feet to obey what you tell me today. I give you me, in Jesus' name, amen. Before you're seated, find two or three people around you. Introduce yourself this morning to them, would you? So today, there's a, there, a, lot of, a lot of times at North Shore you come, I got three, three points. Well, today's a lot. Today's a lot. So the best way to follow along is the North Star app. Easiest way to follow along, literally. Easiest way, North Star Church, Georgia, in the app store. If you've got a piece of paper out or you've got the sermon note sheet on the way in, you've got a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, blood, whatever you're writing with, there's some good, there's some 
great content to write down this morning because when you hear this, it's really easy to go, what did, what did Jesus mean when he talked about this kingdom? What in the world did Jesus mean when he was talking to his Father in heaven about this kingdom that was to come? All right, a couple little thoughts this morning as we walk through it. God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom. His kingdom's a spiritual kingdom. It's, a, um, it's of a spiritual realm. You and I know this. This is earth. This is what we know. Paul says that there's a thin veil between earth and heaven. There's a spiritual realm. I heard a great uh, pastor, he, he said it, it literally is the room next door. We just can't hold it, we can't touch it, we can't see it, but we know it's there. There's a spiritual kingdom, and it's not a physical kingdom, which throws us, we get the whole physical kingdom piece, but look at the next part, God's kingdom is present wherever he rules and reigns as the king over people's hearts. So God's kingdom is present here whenever we say, Jesus be the king of my heart. We're going to spend our time unpacking that today. So God's kingdom is present whenever and wherever we give him access to our heart to be in charge of our heart. Here, here's the word I want you to write down. Ready? It's the word surrender, right? It's, the, it's when we, we say, I'm, I'm not in control. So here, here's the crazy part. So time out real quick. I want, to, I want to make sure we all get this. Is Jesus king whether I recognize him or not? Yes or no? Yes. Our answer to that is not indicative of whether he's king or not, but we have a choice whether he's the king daily of our hearts. You, you know that we can push away this kingdom. We can push away his rule and reign. It's, it's possible to refuse God's rule because I want to be in charge. I want to call shots, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about all that. Alan Redpath great author and writer, he said it this way, before we can pray thy kingdom come, we must be willing to pray my kingdom go. E. I really wish I hadn't read that because I do, I like my kingdom better, right? I like calling the shots in my kingdom. God's kingdom is present whenever and wherever we allow him to be the king over people's hearts. God's will is done perfectly in heaven. Next little blank there. Don't you look forward to heaven? You know, as I get older, I know a lot of people in heaven now. Don't you look forward to a place where there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more cell phones, no more, no more to-do lists? I, I look all throughout scripture. I don't see the recording of anybody wearing a jacket in heaven. I believe it's gonna be 80 and sunny all the time. Can I get an amen on that one? All right, God's will is perfect. It's perfect there. It's perfect. No pollen, nothing, right? I mean, it's, it's, it is 
God's will is going to be done perfectly in heaven. God's will is not done on earth most of the time. So I'll, I'll say this. We are having crowds we have not had in the history of North Star since the beginning days. And it's not just us. It's every church. But do you know that even with that happening, it's still 89% of people in our community, they don't go to church anywhere and they don't think about God at all. God's will is not done on earth most of the time. That's why there's evil. That's why there's darkness. You don't have to cut the TV on for long to know that God's will is not done in most places. I mean, I just get to the point, I don't even watch the news. What happened on the news? It was bad. That's all I can tell you. All right, it was bad. Final thing, God's will is done progressively in our hearts as followers of Jesus. It's a progressive will. God's will is done progressively in our hearts. So let, let's talk about this. So let's talk about this progressive will of God. Scripture says it's God's will that all men would come to know him. So the day that I say yes to Jesus, I step into God's will for my life. So what's this progressive will look like? Well, then it's not just saying yes to Jesus on that day, but it's getting up every day and saying yes to him. It's walking, now that relationship's established, but every day that I pray, every day that I open God's word, every day I seek God's best, not my best, I'm growing in that relationship with him. Does that make sense to everybody? So I come to know him, I begin to grow in him, and then I begin this life where I'm telling other people about him and bringing them where they meet him and they get to know him and they go bring other people with them and then they go back. Y'all know how this is how, y'all didn't just end up here. There were 11 disciples who figured this out and they lived it and here we sit in 2023. It's the progressive will. And I love this phrase. We got it from a pastor out in California, but it was so good. We will do a sermon series off this one year. We're unfinished people with unfinished stories. You're never gonna be perfect here. You'll always be in process. We are unfinished people with unfinished stories. We're all working, but we're not gonna arrive here. There's nobody perfect. There's Jesus, that's it. So let me ask this question. How many of you have ever done something you look back and say, you didn't even have to tell me it was a sin. It was a sin. I regret it. I shouldn't have done it. Um, it may have happened one time. It may have happened many times. But you can look at a point in your past, any age in here, and you said, I did something that I know wasn't God's best. Would you raise your hand? Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, you just did it. You lied in church, all right? So God just, you busted you, all right? But, but some of us have had so much of that, we probably should get up both hands and stand and get a spotlight on us, right? That's, that's our story. We've all, we, listen, we are all a work in progress. God's progressive will. I'm a two steps forward, one step back guy, right? I'll do well and then I don't do well. I'll be here on Sunday morning singing gratitude and singing the honey and the rock, and tomorrow night I'll be yelling at an umpire from a bullpen. You know what I'm talking about? And so we, we, all, we all have those things that we stumble in. God's will is done progressively in our hearts 
as we follow Jesus, you, everybody look at me, you are a work in progress. You have not arrived and you will be a work in progress till the day you go meet Jesus. That's a fact. That's a fact. So this kingdom Jesus talks about, may your will be done, not mine, that that was said in this prayer. What does that mean? Well, I think contextually what it means was found out in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want you to take your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. This is a phenomenal story in the life of Jesus. Matthew, that we just read, beginning of his ministry. Matthew 26, the end of his ministry. Matthew, the beginning, when he's praying to his father, he's teaching his disciples how to pray. Here at the end, he's living the prayer. Matthew 26, verse 36. This is hours before the cross. Jesus has left the upper room. We celebrated communion. Chris did a phenomenal job with this the other week. We celebrated communion, the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood. This is hours before that. Jesus, uh, Judas has already bolted. There's 11 of them. Jesus knows that he is going to be arrested shortly. He knows that the cross, he sees the cross. And we get this. This is a phenomenal story. Look at Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. It's it's the press. And he said, sit here while I go over there. To what? What's he going to go do? So he he was in turmoil. And he went to pray to his father. He took Peter, Simon Peter, Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. Let me look at me. I don't think Jesus was anguished and distressed a lot. I think James and John looked at him and went, this is not normal. This is bad. This is really bad. You would think their guard would be way up. Look at what he told them. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I need you guys on full attention. Peter, James, John. Yes or no question? Softball question. I'm going to give you a simple toss-up question here. Do you think they could see the pain in Jesus' eyes. Yes or no? To let you know we're all a work in progress. He went on a little farther. He bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my Abba Father, if it's possible, please let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. I know what this is gonna feel like. I know what I'm about to walk through. If it's okay, will you just let this pass from me? Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. I I don't want this, but if this is what you want, I'm good with it. Then he returned to the disciples and he found them. What were they doing? Nothing like good friends, right? Right? 
Nothing like some good friends. He said to Peter, couldn't you keep watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. Within hours, Peter's going to give in to temptation. Within hours, Peter's going to deny that he ever even knew who Jesus was. For the spirit is willing and the body's weak. Then Jesus left him a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. What was it about Jesus that he saw a path out, but he stayed in? What was it about Jesus that he saw, I can get out of this thing, but I would rather stay in this thing? All right, time out real quick. Be glad he stayed in because you and I are not sitting in this room if he took the easy way out. There is no cross and there is no empty tomb if there was no cup of suffering. So what does it mean to pray for God's will to be done? All right, I'm gonna say this and we're gonna dive in. For some of us, we don't want what comes next. It's hard. I'm letting you off the hook. Close your Bible, shut down. This isn't easy. It's not for everybody. You know, the Bible says that there were lots that began to follow Jesus till things got hard or he would say something hard, then they would go away. I'm telling you, these words on what it means aren't how we pray for ourselves. I never wake up and go, Lord, send suffering my way. Lord, make this time. I don't pray like that. What does it mean to pray that God's will be done, not mine? Number one, it means that I'm praying to help me learn to be content. If at all possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet... Here's what Jesus was saying in the garden. God, I don't want it. I don't want to drink it. The suffering that's to come. Here's the words, though, and I want you to write these words down. But I trust you fully. I trust you not knowing the answer. I trust you that I might remain in this. I trust you that your way is not my way. I trust you. And that's where most of us go, all right, dude, I'm out. I want to trust what I know the outcome's going to be. I don't want to trust the darkness of the process. Help me learn to be content, meaning God's going to give me exactly what I need right when I need it. He said it, the birds of the air, they have something to eat. If God takes care of them, he's going to take care of you. God, help me learn to be content. Help me learn to let go of control. Help me learn to let go of control. Help me learn to not be in charge. Oh, we all like being in charge. We love so people have asked me, have you ever gone to an escape room with your family? No, we'll kill each other, all right? It ain't gonna happen, right? Because I will be in charge and I don't have any idea what I'm doing, but I'm gonna be in charge because I like being in control. I drive everywhere I go. If we're ever with a group, who's gonna drive? I'll drive. I'm the worst driver in the bunch, but I'm gonna drive. Why? I like being in control. 
See, here's what it means to give up control. Here's the word. I want you to write down this word. It is the word I used a few moments ago. It's used all throughout Scripture. It means I surrender. I surrender. God, your best, not my best. God, your will, not my will. I surrender. Not my will. Man, it's hard. That's so hard. So when we <clears throat> brought our firstborn home from the hospital and they stayed in our house for a couple years and we moved and, and uh, Casey was starting school at a brand new elementary school, we just moved and it's the first day of school. And I told Ann. And so we, we, we sent our children to school. I have nothing against homeschool. For Ann and I, homeschool would have meant mathematics, would have been ESPN, deduct the Brave scored nine, the Mets scored two. What was the difference? All right, and so that would have been our mathematics and Ann would have done percentages while they were shopping. All right, and so we felt like we needed to send our kids on to, we needed to send our kids on to school. So I remember telling Ann the first morning, I was like, baby, you can't handle it. I can handle it. You let him go with me, I can handle it. And I remember sitting in the car line at the school where he knew nobody, I didn't really know anybody, we're brand new, living there, and I am letting this kid who's been in my house, who's been under my control all these years, I'm letting him out with a backpack bigger than him, and he's walking into a school of people I don't know. And I remember him getting out of the car and I'm like, I love you, buddy. He's like, I love you, dad. And he jumps out and closes that door. I pulled over and cried like a baby. But Ann couldn't handle it. All right, but I could handle it. All right, I, I had it under control. And I cried. And all the thoughts, what's going to happen if people pick on him? What's going to happen if he goes on the playground and kids don't pick him to be on a team? What's going to happen if they make fun of him? What's going to happen... And this thought went through my mind. What if I pulled my car over and I hid behind some bushes, all right, there, and I just watched. So anytime something was going that I didn't want, I had to step in. Mike doesn't work like that. That's how you get escorted off the school property and end up in the paper, all right? So don't worry like that. You gotta give up control. Let me tell you something. Some of us, we say we trust God, but we will not give up control of our future. We won't give up control of our choices. We won't give up control of our tomorrow. Why? Because we think we know more than God does. Everybody look at me. You have no idea. He does. And it all begins with surrender. For some of us, we've spent our lives being in control, and we've never surrendered our hearts to Jesus. It was our playbook. You may be a business leader, a government leader, a coach. You may work in real estate. Maybe a small business owner. You may work out of your house. You may be a stay-at-home parent with four of the worst employees in the world that you report to. I mean, they report to you every day, right? And so that's how it works. But we think giving up control, Mike, I'm a grown adult. Let me tell you, let me tell you why this is a big deal but you can only see what's right in front of you. You have no idea five years from now. He does. God's will is exactly what we would choose if we knew all the facts. 
And we say yes. And I surrender. We pray also the prayer, God, help me learn to obey. Help me learn to obey. I want you to write a little phrase, and it's one of my favorite phrases. Day by day. Salvation is a one-time decision, and it's lived out in day-by-day decisions the rest of our lives. Jesus said, I want your will to be done. Mike, if I knew God's will, I would live it out. Live out what you know to be God's will. What do we know God's will? So listen to what he said, Romans 12, one and two. Now understand this. I'm gonna repeat something, I don't have it in front of me. This is like a mashup of like eight different versions of Romans 12, all right? But I want you to listen. Listen to what Paul said. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is holy, pleasing, and acceptable to God. Meaning, every day, go back to God and say, God, you got me today. I wanna live for you tomorrow morning, Monday. I wanna live for you tomorrow morning. This is your spiritual act of worship. You wanna live out you want to worship the Lord every day. Go, God, you got me. God, you got me. You have my calendar. You have my will. You have my emotions. You got me. This is your spiritual act of worship. Then he says, don't be conformed anymore to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then listen to what Paul says. This is powerful then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and perfect will. When you lock eyes with Jesus and you walk towards him every day, you're gonna know. You're gonna know. You're gonna walk in that locker room tomorrow morning, coach, and that conversation you would have missed, you'll get because you offered yourself to the Lord before you ever walked out of the house. You're sitting down to finish a real estate transaction and you'll know it's not about the house. You'll know it's about this person opening up their life to you. Be willing to obey every day. Say yes to Jesus, every day. When you lock eyes with him. So last night I stood in Tate, Georgia with a little couple who got married and I said this in their final little thing. I said, if you'll lock eyes with Jesus every day and you'll lock eyes with each other every day and walk towards Jesus and walk towards each other, you're gonna like where you end up. Because it, it conforms our hearts to obedience. And help me live sin. Help make my days count. Your days are numbered. Do you know that? Do you know that Scripture says your days were written in a book before every one of them came to be? That little dash on tombstones represents our entire life, whether it's 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, or 100 years, ever how long it is. I used to want to be 100. Man, I'm 54, and I know how I feel now. I don't think I'm going to make it, all right? And so I don't, I don't see it coming. 
that little dash. Did I live it for me? Or did I live it for somebody else? As you unpack God's kingdom and his will for your life, you'll find out his will for your life is not you. His will for your life is other people. And how you use that dash to bless others. Everybody look at me. You only got one shot. Mike, I've waited too long. I'm 60 years old. Waited too long. It's never too late to start doing what's right. God could accomplish more in the next 10 years than you could have accomplished in all 60. Why wait to surrender? You were sent here on mission. If God's only purpose for your life was for you to meet him, on the day you said yes to Jesus, he would have taken you home. But he left you here. Why did he leave you here? Because he's got something you can do, nobody else can do like you. You've got a skill set. You've got a, a gift somebody else doesn't have. Are you using it daily for him? Are you wasting it? Are you wasting it? the title of a chapter of a book I'm reading. It says, why be spiritually rich and live spiritually poor? God's God, I've got so much for you as my child. Just look at me. Trust me. I got you. Mike, that's scary. You doggone straight, it's scary but I've never met anybody who stepped on the other side of scary whoever wants to go back because life is found on the other side. His goal is you walk in his will. How do I walk in his will, Mike? Every day yield yourself to him. And if you do, God, here's my gifts, here's my abilities, Here's all I've got. So this week, I didn't tell the story at the last service. I got an email from a lady yesterday, and I don't think you're here, but she said, I was driving home last Friday from a cheerleading competition when I had a flat tire on the side of the road. She said, my, I was in there with my daughter and some of her friends, and we're sitting there in the driving rain, thinking, what are we going to do? And these two men from your church pulled over with their live scent magnet and said, how can we help you? And changed their tire on the side of the road. One of them was Michael Lindemann and a friend of his, Glenn. And I saw I wrote her back yesterday and I said, you should be so thankful. We have a lot of mics on staff. Mike Lynch, Mike Wynn, Mike Lindemann. You got the right mic pulled over, right? Because if I'd have pulled over, I'd have been like, can I hold an umbrella for you while you change your tire? I don't know if I'd have been any help. But in that small moment, they use the gifts and abilities God give them, and they lift up. Did he have somewhere to be? I'm sure he did. Mike's got four kids at home. I'm sure he had somewhere to be. But his heart was entwined with God's heart and he didn't miss his moment. Nor should you.
Would you pray with me? Mm. Yes, Jesus. It all begins with a yes, Jesus. Some of you sat in here. You have lived for you for a long, long time. And today, you say, yes, Jesus. Not my will, but yours. Mm. Jesus, thanks for meeting with us today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Would y'all stand with me here in Compass, watching online in the theater? There's a song that's been sung for years that really should be our prayer song as we begin our day every day. So you may not normally sing, but I challenge you to. And make this old song that was sung by our parents and our grandparents your prayer to the Lord today.